Well, one of the biggest news stories from our neighbors to the south recently has been the scandal of government surveillance by the NSA. You know the story, or if you haven't, the news leaked out about the U.S. government seemingly spying on their own citizens. Under the pretense of national security, they kept all kinds of private information, such as phone records and internet searches, emails, and the like. And when this news leaked out to the media, there was undeniable outrage. How dare the government overstep their bounds in these areas? Private information is meant to be kept private. Otherwise, it wouldn't be private, right? It is wrong for the government to spy on its own people. Or just how much does the government know about me anyway? Oh, it's probably still less than Google knows about us, but... Anyway, I'm not going to comment on all the political or moral issues that this raised, but I think that this news story illuminated one clear fact about people, especially about people in our world today. And that is this, that people do not like to be watched. Does that make sense? People do not like to be watched. This is noticeably true for all of us. We don't like to be watched or monitored or spied on or kept tabs on somehow. Imagine if we looked outside a window at home and saw someone down the road with binoculars looking right back. (laughs) Talk about unnerving, right? (laughs) Or what would you do if you heard that your, your own home was bugged and someone was listening to all the conversations in your house? You'd be pretty bugged, wouldn't you? (laughs) You'd probably tear your house apart trying to find where the bug is. On a lesser scale, if our parents or our bosses or other authorities are peering over our shoulders while we work on something, it makes us uncomfortable, right? We prefer if they just leave us alone. People just don't like being watched. We don't even like being watched when we eat. (laughs) We prefer autonomy, and, and mostly we want some privacy in our lives. But in reality, our lives are much less private than we'd hope. People are almost always watching us, whether it's our kids or our grandkids or our siblings or our peers. And much more important than that, we believe that God is always watching us. He's not a spoil sport or a spy, but he is sovereignly aware of everything that goes on. By nature, he's all-knowing and present everywhere. So nothing that we do ever goes unnoticed or unseen. Whether we like it or not, our lives aren't really that private. And while the desire for some privacy is fairly natural, it's a simple fact that Christianity, our faith, And complete privacy cannot go together. They just don't go together. When we decide to follow Christ, we effectively relinquish the rights to our privacy because we are meant to live out following Christ outwardly and publicly. People should see our faith. Our faith should be seen in the way that we live out in the world. Jesus is going to make this point very strongly in the Scripture passage that we're going to read this morning. If you have a Bible... Please turn with me to Luke chapter 8, verse 16. Luke 8, 16. It's on page 865 in the Pew Bibles. We're continuing our trek through the Gospel of Luke today. 
studying the life and teachings of Jesus Christ and what they mean for us today. So as you find your place, and before we get we dive into God's Word together, I'd like to begin by asking uh, God's, for God's help, that He would be here, that His Holy Spirit would be working on our hearts. So would you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we come to Your Word this morning, I pray that You would open our eyes to Your truth that we would see what it means to be a disciple of yours and what it means to obey your word. We pray that you would inspire us, motivate us, encourage us, bring us to our knees if we need to be brought to them. God, please help us to be amazed by you and your love this morning. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In Luke 8... We're in the middle of Jesus' bustling ministry on earth. You already know this, but Jesus was a very popular public teacher and miracle worker, and soon there were huge crowds of people following him everywhere they go, and they called themselves disciples or followers of Jesus. But Jesus knew that not all was as it appeared on the outside. While many people professed devotion to Jesus, their hearts actually weren't devoted to him. They said they followed him, but in reality they didn't really follow his teachings at all. They never obeyed. And so Jesus, we saw in chapter 8 so far, that Jesus began teaching about what it really meant to follow him. And over the past couple weeks we looked at Jesus' parable about seeds that fell on four different types of soil. He told this parable to make the distinction between his true followers and some fake followers. See, everyone around him heard him preaching God's word to them. But not everyone truly understood what God's word meant and what the right response to God's word was. The devil was always preventing some people from obeying. Hard times exposed others' faith as a fraud. And Even good things in life, the cares and riches and pleasures, it says, distracted others from following him. Finally, we saw Jesus describe how he wished everyone would respond to God's word. And we saw this in in chapter 8, verse 15. It said, as for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. And in this verse, we saw two things that we should do every time we hear God's Word. First, we've got to hold it fast. We've got to understand it and protect it, not forget it or ignore it. And then to bear fruit, to apply it in our lives, obediently, so as to become more like Christ. Today, this is what I hope each one of us does, that we grasp God's Word, and then we obey it. No other response is sufficient, godly, or becoming of a follower of Christ. This is what I would pray for us this morning. Well, verse 15 is where we ended last week, but Jesus wasn't done talking yet. What we're gonna, the next few verses that we're going to see today were part of the same talk that he gave his disciples. And thus, his main point is very similar, if not identical, to the preceding parable. But in these next verses, Jesus really hammers his point home. He also elaborates on it and further develops his thoughts. So without further ado, let's begin to read, starting in verse 16. Jesus says this, No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar 
or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care then how you hear, for the one who has more will be given. For to the one who has more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. Now, first read through those, those verses might not make much sense to us, but I think that we can work deductively to figure out Jesus' main point here. Okay, see what I mean? First, in verse sixteen. He shares a mini parable about lights and jars and beds and stands. And, and we'll get to exactly what this parable means in a minute. But it has something to do with what he says in verse 17 about hidden things being revealed. Okay, So this follows. And then look at what Jesus says next in verse 18. It says, take care then how you hear. Or therefore, take care how you hear. So, did you follow the flow of thought here? No matter what Jesus means in the first two verses there, it leads up to verse 18. And Jesus' main message is what he wants to get across is found there. So what's the primary message they want his disciples to understand? Take care then how you hear. Take care then how you hear. Very similar to his message from the parable of the sower. Here's how I put it that we must be careful to hear and do God's word. I emphasize the and there. Put it in italics. We must be careful to hear and do God's word. Once we hear God's word, we must be careful to obey God's word. Verse 18, Take care then how you hear, for to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has, will be taken away. This is a consistent message throughout Scripture. We've heard it a lot recently. A while back when we went through the book of James together, remember what James said about this? In James 1, it says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. The one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed In his doing. Or more recently, only a couple chapters ago in Luke, we saw Jesus tell this story. In Luke chapter 6, verse 46, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my word and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. It's all making the same point. All these passages. We can't just hear God's word and do nothing about it. God's word must be put into practice. It must be applied. It must be obeyed. And when you come to church and you hear a sermon from the Bible, you hear from God's Word. When you go to a small group and you study Scripture together, you hear from God's Word. When you read Scripture yourself, studying it or memorizing or meditating on it, you hear from His Word. But none of that is good enough. 
because we can hear God's word in very wrong ways. And that was the message of the parable that we saw the last couple weeks. If we forget or get distracted or give up from obeying God's word, it's worthless. You might as well have stayed home today and watched TV for all the difference it would have made. Only hearing and doing is what counts. Like verse 15 told us, as for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast and bear fruit. Hold it fast and bear fruit. And Jesus said, we need to take care how we hear. Take care. That means it takes intentionality. Probably takes some hard thought to put into it. The NIV says, to consider carefully how you listen. We've got to be very careful. If we take preaching or reading God's Word casually or nonchalantly, we'll miss the boat. We've got to take God's Word seriously and seriously apply what we hear. So every week when you hear a message from God's Word, take the time to think. Think about what it means. Think, am I responding in the way that God wants me to respond? What can I do this week? Even if it's only one step, one act of obedience, how can I obey this? What I hear. Brainstorm ways that you can properly apply what you hear to your life. Be extremely specific and practical. Write things down. Review them. Remind yourself of them. Schedule reminders in your phone. Do whatever you have to. Share them with a friend or with your small group for accountability. The point is that you do whatever you have to do in order to do what you hear. Now, you may think, well, Pastor Matt, that's, this whole point's pretty much a no-brainer. I've heard all that before. And I know you have. But here's a question. Have you obeyed? Have you followed through on it? You think, well, you're repeating yourself. Yes, I am. Jesus repeated himself too, over and over again. Did we get the point the first time? Have you implemented some good habits into your life in order to help you obey? Not just on occasion or some of the time, but every time we hear. Every time we hear. We've heard the, of the importance of loving others. Have we begun to practically love other people who drive us crazy? Purposefully doing it. We've heard Jesus say to take the speck of judgmentalism out of our eyes. But do we still grumble about what others around us are doing wrong? We've heard God speak up against lust or gossip or many other sins in Scripture. But have we done anything to fight against these things in our lives? Every time we hear, we have to obey. And in case you're wondering, why? Why should we obey? What's the point? Well, Jesus is going to give us three clear reasons for why we should obey in this passage. The first one is this. We must be careful to hear and do God's Word because obedience to God's Word is meant to be openly displayed. We must hear and obey because God's Word was meant to be displayed 
openly. In order to illustrate this point, Jesus told the little one-verse parable we read earlier. Verse 16 says, No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. Now, obviously, in Jesus' day, they didn't have electricity. So, when he talks about lighting a lamp, he wasn't talking about turning on electric lights or and he most certainly wasn't talking about scoring goals in hockey, okay? So forget that one. But the people in this day had oil lamps in their house. So when they lit a lamp, they lit an oil lamp. And oil lamps were little clay jars that they would fill with oil for fuel, and then they'd light with a flame. And then those lamps would burn for a long while until the oil ran out, and they'd have to refill them. And Jesus said, No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar, or puts it under a bed. This was meant to be an absurd picture. Of course, no one did this. No one would light an oil lamp, which was meant to provide light, and then do something to prevent it from providing light. Duh! It's like... He says it's like putting a pot under a jar or under furniture like a bed. If you had a little light, you put it somewhere where it would provide light. Somewhere like a stand that was made for oil lamps or, or put it hanging from the ceiling where everyone could see the light. It says no one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar, puts it on a bed, under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. Have you ever had someone tell you, I'll leave the light on for you. It's a common saying, right? If you were coming home late or traveling somewhere to visit someone but getting in late, a nice, hospitable thing for someone waiting for you to do is to leave the porch light on so you can see where you're going. And so the saying has become a bit of a catchphrase. We'll leave the light on for you. Now, I want you to imagine being one of my relatives, okay, traveling from far away to see me, driving late through the night in order to, to get to my house. Okay, so imagine that. And then you called later in the evening to check in with me and, and, and say, I'm going to be later than I expected. So I tell you, okay, you know what? I'm going to head to bed, but I'm going to leave the lights on for you. And when you get here, just let yourself in. Okay, I'll see you in the morning. Now, if you've never been to my house before, You want to know where the walkway is, or where steps are, or where doors are, or even light switches. And so, hearing that offer from me, you'd be very grateful for it. you think, okay, great, I'll I'll know where I'm going when I get there. But let's say, when you got to my house, it was pitch black. Okay? And you had to get out of your car, grab your suitcases, stumble your way up to the front door, trip on some steps... Get, you eventually get inside with a lot of difficulty, and you find your bed, figure it all out. In the morning, you'd probably come to me and ask, why weren't the lights on? Why weren't the lights on last night? You said that you'd leave them on for me. Now, what would you think of me if I told you they were on? The lights were on. I turned them on, but they were kind of bright. So, then they, they attracted lots of bugs to the house, and they kept me awake through the window, so uh, they're just too bright. So I took some jackets and some buckets, and I went outside and I just covered them all up, okay? But I left them on, okay? Aren't you grateful? I left the lights on for you. 
What do you think? Probably dumbfounded, right? There are no words to describe your stupidity. (laughs) What is the point of turning lights on if you don't want them to shine light? And that's what Jesus was saying with this parable here. It just doesn't make any sense. And how how does that relate to God's Word? And how we obey God's Word? Well, we have the light of God's Word already, and it has been lit inside of us, in our hearts. And the light of God's Word was never meant to be hidden. D.A. Carson says this, that the point of lighting a lamp is that its light may be seen. No brainer. Similarly, disciples must reveal to others the light they have received. And yet so often, we try to hide our light. We hear it, and then we hide it. As if that was somehow the right response. Instead of letting the truth illuminate our lives, and then our lives and the lives of those around us will be illuminated by the truth of God's Word. Sing the song in Sunday school. This little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Do we? Now, some of you may hear all this and think, okay, well, I've I've made a decision. I'm going to obey God's word. But one day, someday down the road, later in the future, first, I'm going to live a few years and experience the world. I'm going to live a few years for myself. Maybe when I'm an adult, or maybe when I graduate, or when I get married, or when I have kids. At that point, I made the decision. I'm going to come back to God at that point. Let me tell you, there are serious issues with that way of thinking. If we hear, we must obey immediately. And delayed obedience is disobedience. These verses tell us that we need to live openly and obviously for Jesus now. Not later. Not someday down the road. Why do I say this? Well, I say it because of what Jesus says next in verses 17 and 18. I'm going to read it again in a second. But here's how I describe Jesus' point here. We must be careful to hear and do God's word because the fruit of our obedience or lack thereof will be exposed one day. We must be careful to hear and obey because our disobedience or our obedience will be exposed one day. I hope that will simplify the message of these verses for you so you can understand them better. Verse 17, Jesus says, For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest or made known, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care then how you hear, for the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Verse 17 is telling us that one day there will be no more secrets in God's kingdom. Nothing is going to be hidden. And in the context of this passage, I believe that this refers to our obedience or disobedience. It all fits the flow. And over the past few months, 
My wife and I have moved our son from a crib into a toddler bed. So he got a big boy bed now, and he can sleep there. But once you take away the bars of a crib, there is suddenly a lot more freedom for these little kids, right? And they get to roam around the room if you let them and get away with all kinds of things they didn't used to. You, we have to take an active role of training our son to stay in bed when it's time to go to sleep. And usually, several times an evening, we have to go up to his room, open the door, and put him back in bed. He hasn't fully learned his lesson yet, learned to obey. Sometimes, when I go up, not very often, but sometimes, I'll enter his room abruptly and flick the light on. And when I do this, all you see are two little legs hightailing it for the bed as fast as they possibly can. (laughs) Who knew that scaring my kids could be so much fun? (laughs) And so cute at the same time. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, my son thought that he would get away with being out of bed. Right? He, gets, he thinks this every night. But when the light goes on, it immediately exposed him in his disobedience and what he was getting away with. And what, how this relates to us is right now, in our lives, there are many things that we do that we consider as secret or at least private. But one day, They will all be illuminated and exposed. So our quick, lustful glances this past week. No people are wearing less clothes in the summer. The words we muttered under our breath when someone angered us. The websites that no one saw us visit. or The TV shows that no one saw us watch. The bitterness or the grudges that we harbor against people that we know. The lies that no one ever caught us in. All of our secret sins will be revealed one day. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. But not all is negative here. He's not only talking about sins. On the positive side of things, this also applies to good things that we've done that are pretty unknown. So the time that you stop to buy a meal for a hungry homeless person. The words of encouragement that you shared with a discouraged friend. The time you stop to to pray with someone who needed it. The times that you work hard no matter if anyone is watching or not. Every time that you're able to valiantly fight off a huge temptation with the Holy Spirit's help. The times that you react to a hard situation that comes up in your life with with love or gentleness or self-control. One day, all of our acts of obedience to God will also be known and rewarded. You could say that one day, God's going to flick the lights on. And everything, both good and bad, will be immediately exposed. This will happen on the day that Christ returns to earth. And that could be today. Will we dread the light? Or look forward to it. The book of Ecclesiastes ends this way. 
It says, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. And Romans 2, 13 and 16 says this, For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. This will take place on the day when God will judge men's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. This fact of our secrets one day being fully revealed sometimes can terrify us. But this passage wasn't meant to scare us about sin as much as it was meant to motivate us towards obedience. That's what it was meant to do. Jesus is saying, obey the word, obey the word, obey the word, for your secrets are going to be revealed. And your obedience will be seen. It will be exposed one day. Our obedience won't be hidden forever, and our disobedience can't be kept hidden forever. And that is where verse 18 comes in and says, Take care then how you hear. We will be held accountable for how we've heard and obeyed. And that means that it is dangerous business coming to church, it's dangerous business opening your Bible. Because hearing God's word creates the opportunity to either obey or disobey. There's no middle ground. What will happen on the day when our lives are exposed for what they are? We will be exposed as either the haves or the have-nots. Literally. Look what Jesus says. Take care then how you hear, for to the one who has more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. Basically, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer, which may not sound fair, but this is not speaking of money or material prosperity or gifts or talents or any of the like. This is speaking of people's response to God's word. That's all. Based on the flow of this passage, we either have or we don't have spiritual fruit. So what this in essence is saying is when Christ returns, when we have fruit, if we have fruit, if we've obeyed, we will be rewarded appropriately. And if we don't have fruit, if we've ignored God's word, then we'll lose everything. I fear that on that day of judgment, many of us here today may be exposed as fake. We may claim to follow Christ and think that we are Christians. We may faithfully go to church. We may join a small group. We may read our Bibles and pray. But if we don't actually obey what we hear, we won't have fruit. And what we think we have will be taken away. Michael Wilcox says, It is impossible to permanently hide where one stands in relation to the gospel. What is hidden will come out sooner or later. That is, it will if it is really there. The danger is that the man who thinks he has received the gospel and keeps it hidden and never lets the fact be known may find one of these days when he comes to look for the reality of the gospel within him that it is not in fact there and never was. 
They asked today, could this possibly describe you? I preach the gospel every week that Jesus Christ came to earth, lived, died, and rose again. That He died to take away our sins. He rose again to give us life. And one day He will return to earth as judge and king. And now, despite all of the sins that we've ever committed and that we cannot hide from Him, God is willing to forgive us for all of them. Cleanse us to see us as good in His sight. This is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. But if we truly believe this gospel, it will change our lives. It won't just change our Sunday morning habits. It will work itself out in the way we live every day. As we learn to love others like Christ loved us and to be more like Him in holiness, we will learn to repent, to give, to worship, to serve, to obey. It will work itself out. So, have you truly received the gospel in your hearts before? Examine yourself. If you haven't, I invite you to respond this morning, even if you thought you did sometime in the past. I invite you to turn from your sins and commit or recommit your life to Christ. After the service, I'll be here to talk or to pray with any of you who'd like to. But this morning, you can make sure that you're ready for the lights to come on. Because they will one day. Luke wraps up this passage on doing God's word with one final short story. As Jesus was speaking these powerful words to the crowd that had gathered around him, something was causing a commotion on the outskirts of the crowd. And what we see is Jesus' family showed up. Read with me in verse 19. It says this, Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. Now, we haven't seen too much of Jesus' earthly family in Luke since the early chapters. Jesus, of course, had a mother, Mary, and an adoptive father, Joseph. But contrary to what some people will tell you, he also had earthly siblings. Joseph and Mary had other children after Jesus. We aren't told why here, but for some reason, his family showed up now at this place wanting to see Jesus. But... They couldn't get through the crowd. They couldn't push their way through. Can't you just see them? Back of the crowd trying to pry from shoulders apart. That's my son in there. Can't I just see him? Or, or that's our brother. Let us through. And the people are probably like, sorry, we got nowhere we can move. We can't budge. We're all in here like sardines. We could pass a message along for you to the front. Like a game of telephone. But eventually the word got through to Jesus that his family was there. And verse 20 says, and, and Jesus was told, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. Now many families have strained relationships. And it seems that Jesus' family was no exception. However, 
throughout scripture, throughout the Gospels, the difference that is usually, or I should say, the difference between families that are strained usually is that there are two sides to every strain. Two parties at fault, two people at fault. But in Jesus' case, conflicts were entirely one-sided. They weren't Jesus' fault at all. His family simply didn't get him. They didn't understand him fully. And in this particular story, I don't hesitate to say that his family was in the wrong. Mark, in Mark's Gospel, also tells us this story, and he provides a bit more of the backstory. He says that a great crowd gathered, and when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he is out of his mind. So they thought Jesus was crazy. But ironically, it was they who were out to lunch. Regardless, what we're going to see here is Jesus' response wasn't disrespectful. He wasn't trying to offend anyone, but he was very clear that doing his heavenly Father's will was more important than any demands put on him by his earthly family. And as he so often did, Jesus used the situation to hammer his point home. Giving us one final point to understand today. Read with me verse 20. It says, And he was told, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. First glance, what Jesus says can sound kind of heartless or rude to his family, right? We shouldn't be quick to make assumptions or read between the lines. We don't know Jesus' tone. We don't know what he did after this. All he was doing was making his point. And notice that we aren't even told how the situation resolved. We don't know if his family ever even got to see him or if they were offended at all. What this tells us is that Luke didn't see these details as important. What he did see as important, what's important for us to notice is the climax of what Jesus said. This really would have been an inconsequential event in Jesus' life if it weren't for the point that Jesus made through it. That if we obey God's word, we show ourselves to be part of his family. My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Daryl Bach says that the remark is not a repudiation of family as much as it is an endorsement and exhortation to disciples to be receptive to the word. Here's how this connects to the theme. We must be careful to hear and do God's word because our obedience shows the nature of our relationship with Jesus. Our obedience or disobedience is evidence of who we are. It displays our relationship with Christ. Now, we might be tempted to read this as saying that obedience makes us his family. But we know from Scripture that faith is actually what places us into the family of God. As Romans 3.26 says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. Doing God's word is not the means, it is the end. It's the inevitable result. Obedience is the evidence of being part of God's family. Sometimes when my wife and I talk on the phone with our bank or phone company or some other company that has an account, and we want to make changes to an account we have with them, the agent on the other end has to ask us a series of security questions. 
You know what I mean by that? Say, okay, I need to make sure that you are who you say you are. So, sir, I have to verify that you are Angela's husband, or vice versa. So they ask questions that only we would both know in order to prove that we're related. That they're talking to who the right person. Well, if you wonder if you're part of God's family, you only need to ask one question. Do you obey God's word? It's the only question you need to ask. If so, it is likely proof that you have been adopted into God's family. I love how the message paraphrases this verse. It says, Jesus replied, My mother and brothers are the ones who hear and do God's word. Obedience is thicker than blood. Obedience is thicker than blood. What a, what a great way to put it. Great, good families ideally stick together no matter what comes their way, which has inspired the common saying, blood is thicker than water, right? But there is a bond that is even thicker than human blood. And that's the bond between Jesus and those who obey him through the Holy Spirit. In a really wonderful sense, it's a spiritual sense, we are now related to Jesus thought of that? Part of his family. We're not just distant cousins either. It's like we're his immediate family. He said, these people are my mother and my brothers. There's no greater blessing or privilege than to become part of God's family. 1 John 3, 1 says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Shows God's love. Now, we receive all the benefits and mercies that go along with being part of His family. You may not have a good family history or a family situation here on earth, but you can be a part of God's perfect and holy family. Now, before we reach heaven what we call the family of God, the church, it ends up being pretty messy, right? We're all flawed. We're all sinners. We're all very different from one another. And we hurt each other much more often than we'd like to admit. But the key relationship in God's family is not between each other. The first relationship, the key relationship is between God, between Jesus and us. And by His grace, Jesus only ever loves and cherishes us. In His love, He accepts us. He never abuses us. He never hurts us. See His love? If we come to Jesus in faith, we become His children. We become His siblings. Christ our brother. And then we inevitably show that we're part of that family by our faithful and humble obedience. Today, if, if you feel that you don't see this regular obedience to God's word in your life, it is likely evidence that you're not part of God's family yet. But you know what? You can come around on Jesus. You can come back to him. The invitation 
is still open to you. Think of Jesus' own family here. Even though they were misguided at this point, eventually they came around. Mary became known to be a faithful follower of her own son. And and several of his brothers became vital leaders in the early church as well. Jesus died so that even those who once misunderstood him or those who once fought him could turn back to him and find mercy. Whenever a new baby is born, like we personally experienced this last month, there's a curious yet fun little exercise that people do. Whenever almost everyone who sees the baby or gets to hold them tries to figure out who they look like. Right? Everyone does that. Oh, he looks just like you. <laughs> I see you in her. Right? Ah, they have your eyes. <laughs> or on the other hand, yikes, they got his nose. <laughs> she looks just like her mother, or he's a spinning image of his grandfather. Why do people do this? Why does everyone do this? Well, they're trying to see the family resemblances, right? They're trying to see who they look like because family members naturally look like each other. It's in the blood. It's in the genes. You can often tell who's related to each other because they somewhat look alike. They have similar features. You know that God's family has a family resemblance? You can tell who part of Jesus' family is by his family resemblance. However, it's not genetic. It's not physical. The family resemblance is seen in what we do. It's not in the eyes or the noses. It's in the words and the thoughts and the actions. As Philip Ryken says, the distinguishing feature of the family of God is obedience to the word of Christ. So, Do you bear the family resemblance of the family of God? In your actions, are you beginning to look a bit more like Jesus? Are your thoughts or your prayers or your acts of service or your worship beginning to resemble Him? Obedience is the evidence of our relationship with Christ, one way or the other. And obedience is thicker than blood. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know that we're nothing on our own and, and we don't often obey you in the way that you would like us to. And we know above all that we need your help. We need your Spirit's help in order to even obey what we hear today. And so I pray that your spirit would come to our hearts and you would guide us, you would teach us, you would grow us. Help us to become more like you. Help us remember your grace when we fall. And may we become more like you in the way that we look to the world around us. Help us become truly like your family in love, and unity, and grace. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.